Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Nehemiah 13 and 1. So on that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God, because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So it was when they heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. Seems like we went through this recently already, didn't we? Oh, we got foreigners among us. We got to get them separate. Here we go again. Already we're doing it. So when the people read from the book of Moses, they had to hear it. They had to hear it read to them. You know, a lot of people tell me, oh, Ray, I could read the Bible on my own. I don't need to go to church. Well, then read it. You know, but they fall back into the same mess. There's something about it when the word of God is read aloud to people. It does this great thing like it did here. So apparently they got into the section of Deuteronomy chapter 23. And it was this story about the Ammonites and the Moabites. They tried to stand in the way. They literally tried to block the Israelites from making it into the promised land. They could have helped them. They could have gave them bread and water, but they didn't do that. They tried to hinder their walk back in. And so the Ammonite and the Moabite people were restricted. They were not allowed to attend Israel's religious gatherings and integrate because of how they treated Israel when they were lost in the desert. They did not help them when they could have. Since they refused to help the Israelites, but actually tried to have them cursed, now they get cursed. They are now a cursed people. We need to remember what God said very, very early in the Bible in Genesis 12, 3, that apparently a lot of the world does not know anything about. It says, I will bless those who bless you. He's talking about Israel. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. The Moabites, the Ammonites, they had cursed Israel. They attacked them. They had been attacking them for centuries. This is nothing new. This has been a long-running feud here. They hated Israel to their very core, and Israel was not supposed to make peace with these people. Now, I know up front that doesn't sound very Christian. We're supposed to make peace with everybody. As long as it depends on you, you're supposed to make peace. If you step forward to make peace and they're willing to take it, then good, you've got it. But these were a people that were never going to have it. They hated Israel. They were never going to be uh, peaceful. Now, I know up front this seems like it's a matter of non-forgiveness on the Israelites' part. No, y'all have to leave. You've got to go away. Y'all have been bad in the past. Well, that's very unforgiving. You ever had people do you that way? But when somebody develops a track record over a long period of time, they hate you to your core. They are never going to do anything nice. You have to separate. You've got to do that. So this is not about unforgiveness. Rather, this is about non-repentance on the part of the Ammonites and the Moabites. God knew that these two nations of people would never 
ever turn around. And so his command to the Israelites was, you keep away from them. So you remember in chapter 8, it's, we, we, it's like we're doing a repeat of this. They read the law, they read God's word aloud, and they found out they were supposed to separate themselves from the foreign people and because the foreigners caused them to follow false gods. And that's exactly what got them all into trouble in the first place. That's what brought them into captivity. So they read it, and they're like, oh, we're not supposed to be around these people. We better separate. So here they go doing it again. But ever since Nehemiah had been gone for a few years, these foreigners crept back in. And also in chapter 8, they've already done this in the past. This is already a few years prior. They drafted up that big covenant document. You remember that? That big document, we're all going to put our seal on it, saying that we promise to obey God's law to the letter. Well, it's obvious that they had not been reading God's word lately. You know, you can, well, I've read the Bible before, Ray. I know what's in there. Well, you keep reading it because if you don't, it creeps back in. So this story here, it shows us that when people stop reading God's word, that's when they allow trouble to come in. You know, some of the biggest fights I get out of people is you don't have to read the Bible to be saved. You don't have to read the Bible to be Christian. I'm like, you have to breathe air to live, don't you? Yes, you do have to read God's word. You, no, you don't have, just because I don't read God's word. And now they justify themselves on why it's okay. But look at this picture. Chapter 8, they heard God's word. Oh my gosh, we got to get right. And they fixed everything. Well, now they stopped reading. And here we go again. And what's scary about this is that the Israelites had no idea they were in trouble until somebody read the word to them. They had no clue what was going wrong until somebody read God's word. And then they thought, oh gosh. We're doing wrong because God's word said, yeah, chapter eight, y'all already forgot. So here it was read to them and now they're in trouble. They realize they're in violation. Nehemiah 13 and four. Now before this, Eliashib, the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of God was allied with Tobiah and he had prepared for him a large room where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and gatekeepers and the offerings for the priests. Okay, the high priest, as if this couldn't get bad enough, the high priest made an alliance. He made a a working partnership with Tobiah. Tobiah, guys, y'all remember Tobiah, who that guy was? He's that guy that mocked Israel and made fun of them. He said, if the Israelites build a wall, if a fox gets on it, then the wall will fall down. That was Tobiah that said that. Next thing you know, the high priest gave him a room in the temple to Tobiah. You can live in there. What in the world? Put yourself in Nehemiah's position. Wouldn't you start steaming by now? I would. What in the world have we come to? You know, Tobiah was against building the wall. Now he's living in there behind it. Nehemiah 2 and 10. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, I'm going to refer you back to how bad they were. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard of it, this wall, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So here's this Tobiah guy. He hated the fact that somebody wanted to help the Israelites. Now, somehow, he made an alliance with the high priest to live right in there. And if it wasn't bad enough, I want you to know one thing. Tobiah is an Ammonite. They had just found out we're not supposed to have these people here, and Tobiah is an Ammonite. 
So if you thought originally, well, that's unfair to kick the Ammonites out, just take a look at what's going on here. These Ammonite people aren't in there just to be friends. These Ammonite people are in here because they hate the Jews, they hate Israel, and they're implanting themselves in there to just mess everything up. They have infiltrated their culture to tear it down. So Tobiah hates Israel. He's living in the temple of God. You don't go and live in there. That's not what that's for. He was in a storeroom that was supposed to be for tithes. So think of this. Tobiah apparently had enough power or some kind of control over the high priest, and he he commanded the high priest, look at this. He said, I want you to get the offerings of the Lord out of here so I can live in it. Can you see how bad this is? The Lord's offerings were thrown out so that a God-hater could move in. Guys, and this happened from a people that stopped reading God's Word. When you stop reading God's Word, what you'll do, because it makes sense to you, you'll move God's stuff out, and you'll move sin stuff in. This is a pattern for us to be aware of, okay? I, I don't feel like I really need to expand on my case on why the Ammonites and the Moabites had to be removed. I think it's ex- explanatory by now. But in fact, later in verse 17, Nehemiah is going to refer to this, Tobiah living in that big room in the temple area, he's going to call this an evil thing. You think? Evil thing that the high priest had the nerve to set Tobiah up in the temple like this. How dare you do this? You know, what happened? What's going on here? It's not just these people that hate Israel. It's Satan hates Israel because God made promises to those people. They're his people. Satan tried to plant an enemy of God right in the middle of the temple to try to oppose God's work while making it look like Tobiah was there to help. Probably how he got in there was, I'm a powerful man. I can help y'all. If you will just put me right there in the middle of it, I've got enough power and enough money to make things really happen. Oh, that looks wonderful. No, it's not. We once had an individual here at this church had lots of money. And he said, Ray, if you will just put me here, I'll get you a building. I'll make this happen. I said, no, sir. And I hated to put it to him like that. And that's the way it went. He quit and he left. This guy, Tobiah, wanted to get right in the middle to mess things up because I've got the power and I've got the money. I can make this all happen. Well, that looks wonderful. Had I let that guy come into this church and take over like he'd wanted to do, he'd have had this whole place messed up long ago, and we wouldn't be here right now. I recognized it. Nehemiah recognizes it. You can't be here like this. You see how sneaky Satan is? He makes things look good. And next thing you know, when you're not in God's word with the discernment to recognize these problems, what you'll end up doing is you'll move God out and move Satan right in. He'll tear the whole thing up. You got to be very careful. Stay in God's word. When you go home today, read God's word. Tomorrow, when you get up, read God's word. Tuesday, read God's word. Wednesday, read God's word. Keep going. Don't just come in here and get your Bible out of me once a week. This ain't enough. Nehemiah 13 and 6, I'm getting getting all bent up. This makes me mad that this dude's getting away with this. Nehemiah 13 and 6, but during all this, I was not in Jerusalem. See, he'd been out for a while, but during all this, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days, I obtained leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil, there he is, he called it evil, the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, and preparing a room for him 
in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me just a little bit, so I let it slide. And it grieved me a little more. So I, No, it says it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I asked him if he'd like to leave. No, it says I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. I threw him out. God's doors are always open for everyone. No, they're not. Not to people like Tobiah. They're not. He threw him out. Verse 9, then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms, and I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. Now things are getting right. So these guys pulled this sneaky trick after Nehemiah had left to go serve the king for a while. So like I said, he cats away the mice play. Now I want you all to recognize how Nehemiah dealt with the problem. I would call it fierce action. And so he did not mess around when it came to literally going into Tobiah's supposed home and grabbing all his stuff and just throwing it right out the door. Get this stuff out of here. You know, there is a proper time for righteous anger, and you're going to see plenty of it out of Nehemiah today. Again, like I said, Jesus, he exercised righteous anger. God has righteous anger. He saw people misusing the temple for their personal gain. I'm certain Tobiah was in there to make a a shekel or two out of the deal. I guess you could say that Nehemiah was reflecting probably the way God was taking this. You can get an idea of how God felt of this by watching what Nehemiah did. He said, it grieved me bitterly. Bitter grief. And he was reflecting the same anger of God himself, I believe. Nehemiah 13 and 10. I also, oh, there's more. Yeah, here we go. I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given them for each of the Levites, and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. See, when Tobiah took all the offerings out, the Levites, the priest, had nothing to make their income with, so they had to go find other jobs. How would you like it if I just came to you one day and said, guys, not making enough, I can't survive, and I quit. Bye, go find another pastor, and I took off and went and found another job. That's what happened here. They could not afford it. The sin here of Tobiah, it wasn't just affecting the temple. It was also affecting other people. Now the priests can't even do their work. And Tobiah's hatred of the Jews had driven the priests out of their temple duties. They had to go find other work. And this Israel hating Tobiah was in the way, and he was now stealing worship from the Lord. That's what goes on in the temple. You bring your offerings in. You worship the Lord. Now, he's not just getting in the way of Nehemiah. He's not just getting in the way of the, ne- uh, of the Israelites. He's getting in the way of God. Oh. Now, remember in the previous chapter, they had reinstated daily portions for the Levites and the singers and the gatekeepers, daily portions every day for them. Tobiah was trying to destroy God's restoration process. We serve a God of restoration. And when God is trying to restore you and some knucklehead comes in there and tries to mess the whole thing up, then yeah, God is going to get personally upset at that. He's going to do something about it like we see Nehemiah doing. Now, I'm sure Tobiah was rich and powerful, and that's probably how he cut a deal with this pathetic high priest that should never be a high priest again. Nehemiah 13 and 11, so I contended with the rulers, and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then all Judah 
brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse, and I appointed as treasurers over the storehouse Shelemiah the priest and Zadok the scribe, and of the Levites, Padeah, and next to them was Hanan the son of Zachar, the son of Mataniah, for they were considered faithful, and their task was to distribute to their brethren. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its services. Now this was one serious reprimand for the Jewish officials here, because they had pretty much neglected the work of the temple. They were still there. The leader guys were still around. They just weren't doing their job. They pretty much gave Tobiah free reign to do whatever he wanted to. These leaders should have stepped in and said, no, Tobiah, we're not having it. They should have stepped in and said, no, high priest, we're not having this, but they didn't do it. These rulers wouldn't, wouldn't step up and say anything. You notice that Nehemiah did not say, I went and had a talk with them. He said, I contended with them. When you contend with somebody, that means you got to fight. They fought this out. I, I think Nehemiah had some uh, pushback on this. Spineless leadership always allows life-sucking leeches to come in and take over. It doesn't do what it's supposed to. Somebody else will come in and take over and sap the life out of the whole place until it's done. Then they'll go somewhere else and sap the life out of the next place. So Nehemiah, he cannot straighten out everything on his own. He's the governor. He's got the top power position, but he has got to get these officials back in order again. You guys have got to start doing your job. So he said he put them in their place. I like that. Verse 11, he said, why is the house of God forsaken? Can you imagine what a shock that was to them? What, what, what do you mean the house of God is forsaken? We're, we're God's people. So look at the changes that you've let happen. Tobiah kicked God's stuff out and moved his stuff in. You got a corrupt high priest. The Levites and the priests can't even make a living. They had to go find other jobs, and the things in the temple aren't being done the way they should. The house of God is forsaken. And what's shocking is how these leader guys, they didn't even have the vision to be able to see how God's house was forsaken. They didn't even recognize it. How did they not see this? That's my question. How did you let this get this bad so fast? So Nehemiah had a big battle with the leadership. It wasn't just the high priest at fault here. All of them were in on it. They all had a part in it that they had let down uh, their guard. So now that Nehemiah had Tobiah thrown out, he had the people bring the tithes back in. He said, I got this out. Of, I got this man out of here. Cleanse the room. Get these tithes back in here. Get it back in here right now. We're going to straighten things back up. Now, for an extra layer of security, he put treasurers over the storehouse. I'm guessing they didn't have treasurers over the storehouse before. They just kind of trusted it would all get done. Basically, he gave authority to faithful accountants to oversee the distribution of the tithes that they get put where they're supposed to go. Now, this would enable the priests to come back because now they were going to have their daily portion so that they could get back to doing the temple work again. Now, praise to God would be properly reinstated again so that the people could walk back in and have their close relationship with the Lord again. See, guys, this has all to do with relationship with God. God wants to walk close with his people. He wants the praise. He wants the offerings. He wants all the things in place. And by the time Nehemiah had got back, all of that was gone. 
Now, they could all get back to their ministerial duties now that everything's coming back. And see, when they get their ministerial duties back on, now this is going to benefit the entire nation of Israel. Now, everybody is going to be uh, get the spiritual blessings and the gains from God. Nehemiah 13 and 15. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt there also, who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Here's your people of Israel there in Judah, in Jerusalem. They were doing business with foreigners on the Sabbath day. They were working, loading things up, doing lots of work that they were not supposed to do. Now, do you remember when the Israelites specifically drafted a document and they signed it? They called it a written covenant that they promised not to do this very thing that they were doing. We're not going to do business on the Sabbath. I want to show it to you. Nehemiah 10 and 31 says, If the peoples of the land brought wares, or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. They said, God, we promise we won't do this, and here they are already doing exactly what they vowed not to do. I was so glad when they drafted that covenant, and we're all going to seal it, and we hallelujah to God, and Lord, we're back. We're going to do what you tell us to do. I was so excited, but I knew it was just around the corner they were going to mess up again. And guys, we're the same. We're, we're sinners. We mess up so fast. And thank God he's patient with us. You notice in the story that we're reading so far, as bad as it is, God did not consume them with fire and vaporize them out of town. You notice that? That means he's being patient with them. All right, he's going to let them come around. Friend, I know you've messed up. I know you're quick to mess up. I am too. God's patient. Let's get it back together like they're doing here. One important thing, though, when leadership fails, so do the people under them. Whenever leadership stops holding accountability to the written standard of God's word, then wickedness takes root and destruction is soon to follow. We're all accountable to God's word because if we stop doing that, things turn into a mess and then we're crazy as these guys were here. Now, so far in chapter 13, the high priest stopped doing his job. So the enemy took advantage of it and snuck in. Now, everybody's in violation of God's word. You catch this? everybody's all a mess. It's not just these few guys at the top. And it happened so fast. I think that's what really gets me is I, I thought we were done. We wrote a big document, slammed the seal, and we're good. Already they're a mess. God, we promise you we won't do this. They're doing it. So here's Nehemiah, and he's not spineless. He's a tough guy. He's not going to put up with this because he knows the damage it's going to bring. So he's going to bring action against the leadership that failed to do their job. Here he goes again, Nehemiah 13, 17. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Thank 
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.